Last week we saw in Amos 4 that given the rebellious nature of Israel, God was calling upon the nation to meet with him. So if you look with me at Amos chapter 4 on page 927, and the last couple of verses there just to get our context for chapter 5. Therefore thus I will do to you, says Amos 4 verse 12, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the winds and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. How do you meet with God? The God who has made the universe and darkness and light? Most people think it's in religion that you meet God, in a temple or in a church or in a cathedral. And in fact, you may meet God in such places. That's if God's present to meet you in such a place. And if he chooses to meet you. But the place Israel met with God was always in his word. And so chapter 5 commences, Hear this word that I take over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. For God wishes to meet with Israel to tell them about what is to happen to them and to give to them one last chance, one tiny possibility to still find salvation. They'll not meet him by going to their shrines at Bethel or Gilgal, for that was religion of the unrighteous. Oh, they were religious, all right, they were very religious. But as the Bible readers should know, religion doesn't save you. It's prophecies like Amos that pour scorn on religions. It's teachings of Jesus, as we've just had read from us, Matthew 23, that pour scorn on religion. Israel was religious, but God isn't religious. He hates religion. God speaks of their feasts and their solemn assemblies, of their burnt offerings and their grain offerings, of their peace offerings and fattened animals, of their music and of their instruments, and is repulsed by them. Look with me to verse 21 over the page, Matthew, Amos 5, verse 21, Amos 5, verse 21. I hate, very strong words from the mouth of God, isn't it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Just because you're religious, just because you've got wonderful religious expressions, doesn't mean that God has met with you, or that he's pleased with you, or that he's pleased with what you're doing. He was not meeting them in their religion because they were unrighteous. And it's righteousness that is the true religion of Israel. Their unrighteousness, you can see back in verse 7 
Verse 7, O you who turn justice into bitterness, into wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth, or skip down to verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact taxes on grain from him, and you've built houses hewn of stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy from the gate. They don't love their neighbour. They don't love their neighbour as themselves. And my friends, you cannot love God and not love your neighbour at the same time. For loving your neighbour is what God wants you to be doing. And you can't love your neighbour and treat him unjustly. For loving your neighbour as yourself means that you would never harm your neighbour, you would never do him any wrong, exact reverse. Loving your neighbour means you'll do that which is right to him and generous and kind. And so you will not be meeting God when you go to a shrine to worship God while treating your neighbour with contempt, while living in luxury, while he lives in poverty. No, what God wants is religion that is real, righteousness that rules his people. And so we have that wonderful contrast which introduces one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament, you look there in verse 23 and see the introduction to this marvellous verse 24. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If you know it, and we hear it from time to time with good reason, you can hear the great prophetic voice of Amos here, informing and shaping the words of that incredible speech by the Reverend Martin Luther King as 40 years ago he delivered his speech in Washington. In one section of it he says, there are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? He goes on, we can never be satisfied as long as our bodies heavy with fatigue or travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels or the highways or the hotels of the cities. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi can't vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. That incredible man who played such a significant role in the middle of the 20th century in North America was a Baptist minister well versed in the scriptures. The ideas of justice and equity and morality they were filled from the readings of Amos and the like. He just refers to words like this as if you are supposed to know them because, frankly, my friends, you should know verses like Amos chapter 5, 
and verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like the ever-flowing stream. So what Amos 5 is about is the retribution for the wrongdoers. Simply giving people what they deserve is what we mean by the word retribution. For Israel will meet God, you see it though, where they don't expect it. In the wailing of verse 17, verse 17, in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. You think that having God visit you is going to be a good day? Think again. For now is introduced the day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord must be a day of justice. Verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, you who would have the day of the Lord. Is it, not, is it darkness and not light? As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? It's an illustration of one of those old proverbs, isn't it, about being very careful what you wish for, those who wish for the day of the Lord. You want to meet God? Well, stop and think about it for a moment. Are you ready to meet God? Stop and think about the God that you're about to meet. He who made the Pleiades and, and, and Orion, the great star systems, and who turns deep darkness into morning and darkness the day, darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out of the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Do you want to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? You who have been worshipping the star gods and making your idols uh, to worship and you have silenced his prophets and oppressed his people, do you really want to meet the true and living God who rules the universe? Think about it before you say, oh yeah, I'd like to meet God. You have to be ready when you're meeting somebody like this. You meet the Prime Minister, you meet the Premier, you meet the Queen. Why? You get yourself ready, don't you? You don't just turn up in a pair of old tracky dacks and sneakers. You think to yourself, actually, I'd better, be, I'd better be right. But God is not interested. He's happy for you to come up in tracky jacks and deans. He wants the heart. What is that going to be like? He wants you and the character of the man. Which is why when the chapter comes there is this unrelenting justice for which there will be no escape. Which is why the chapter commences with the words of the lamentation over Israel, fallen, no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. Verse 3, for thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. That which went out a hundred will only have ten left. Decimation. There is no future for Israel. There's no escaping the wrath of God. For as verse 28 assures them, he personally is going to send them into exile 
never to return. They wouldn't listen to the word of God. They've silenced the prophets so that the prudent will keep silent for such a time is an evil time. Well, then there's no hope, no security in running from the lion because you'll only be met by a bear. No safety into running your house, running into your house, because there you'll be bitten by a snake. The day of the Lord is a day of darkness, not light. But yet, in this dreadful passage, for it is a passage full of dread, in this dreadful passage, there is a small, tiny glimmer of light. A small speck of light in the almost total blackness of God's judgment. For there is the call for repentance and the promise of hope for the remnant. You see the challenge of repentance with the word seek back there in verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Seek the Lord and in verse 14, seek good and not evil. For verse 4, you don't seek God in Bethel or in Gilgal, but you seek him. Seek me and live. And that is the promise that can be never given by religion. Seek me and live. Jesus came, and when he came, he claimed I am the way, the truth, and the life. For as John claimed, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let me take you through quickly several of these verses. I think we're already one behind on the passages in front of us, brother. For look what Jesus said. These are all out of John's Gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Or again, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or again he says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And again Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or again he speaks in chapter 10 of John's Gospel, the thief comes only to steal and to kill, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Indeed, John told us that he wrote his Gospel but you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Seek the Lord and live. And when Jesus came, he said, I am the life. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you will find, you will have life in his name. 
So back to Amos 5. For not only were they to seek the Lord, but in verse 14 of Amos 5, they were to seek good and not evil. So that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. For you cannot have the Lord and injustice. You cannot have God and hate your neighbour. You cannot find forgiveness in order to go on sinning. There are two common mistakes made in history and you still see them in Sydney today. On the one hand, you have the religious who seek the Lord without justice. And on the other, you have the secularists who seek justice without the Lord. You will never ultimately have either of those. They cannot be. Without the Lord, there is no justice. And without justice, you will not have the Lord. The only hope for Israel is that the Lord may be gracious. Gracious to the remnant. So look at the end of verse 14 there with me. Sorry, the end of verse 15. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. There's no certain promise here of forgiveness for the nation. Well, for the nation it was too late. But there was just the possibility, it may be, perhaps, God's gracious mercy will come and bring relief and help and pardon and forgiveness, not to the nation, but to the remnant. Not to the whole nation, just the remnant of the faithful who keep on trusting God and seek him and love good and hate evil, just as he loves good and hates evil. Maybe there are some within Israel whom God will spare. It was Jesus who centuries later gave a more certain and confident promise to the remnant when he said to his disciples, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. With the coming of the kingdom of heaven, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth, there is the promise of satisfaction Satisfaction for whom? For the greedy? No. But for those who would hunger, those who would thirst for righteousness. And so he commanded his disciples saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Amos 5 talks of a terrible time when God gives up You don't expect God to give up, but he does. Already, in part, God has given us up into our own sinfulness, which is why the world's in the mess that it is with the foolishness and the immorality that you see in our society. God has already handed us over to our own sinful, foolish desires. That's what Romans chapter 1, the second half of it, teaches us. And the reason we are as immoral and decadent and corrupt as we are is because... God has given us up to our own sinfulness. But there will come a day when his patience comes to an end and he will call every person to account. 
for our lies and our injustice, for our insensitivity to others, for our failure to be generous. And in that day, there'll be no turning back. There'll be no escape. There'll be no alternative. Whatever chance you think you have of getting away from the lion, it'll only to be to be eaten by the bear. There is no escape. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, suddenly and unexpectedly with devastating consequences. And while we await that day to come upon all humanity, it comes upon each one of us personally as we come to the end of our lives and face the judgment of God. For as the New Testament says, it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Now friends, listen to the prophet Isaiah. Listen and follow his command. For he too commanded the people to seek the Lord but he gave a little condition and a more confident promise than Amos. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. For he knew there would come a time when it would be too late. But also he knew of God's abundant compassion. And so he brought the great promise of not maybe pardon but of certain pardon to those who seek him. And so he commanded, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon you don't solve the immorality and decadence and corruption of this world by pretending there's no justice and no judgment ever coming. The judgment is coming. This awful, horrible day of which Amos is speaking will come. It'll come individually to us as we die, but it will come to all when God's patience runs out. It will come. You can hope that God will forgive, but we know more than hope. We can be certain that he will because of Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection. For here is what Jesus came to fulfil, that by his death, when he was given up, abandoned, forsaken, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? When he was given up by his Father, he would bring pardon and forgiveness and mercy to us. So in a few minutes, we are once more going to remember his death and resurrection as we eat some bread and drink some wine together in memory of his blood shed for us and his body given for us. But before we come to that, as we go through our order together, we're going to be challenged once more to seek the Lord in repentance as we confess our sinfulness. And once more we will hear 
of God's merciful forgiveness as we remember again his compassion and his mercy brought and bought by the forgiveness to us forgiveness given to us by his son's death so in this time may i encourage each one of us this morning to seek the lord and live seek the lord while we may seek good and not evil so that you may live and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all things that you give to us, but above all for the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that by his death our sins are paid, by his resurrection new life has come. We thank you for the assurance of the promise of life, that he came to bring and effectively has brought. And we beg your mercy upon us, Father, for sinful people that we are, unholy people caught in an unholy society and world. We beg your mercy upon us, Father, that by your Spirit we may truly seek you, the true and living God, we might seek good, that we might hate evil, that we may hunger and thirst after righteousness. So send your spirit upon us, please, Father. Change our hearts, soften our hearts, move us, please, Father, that we may seek you and know the life that your Son has won for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.